you'll follow along, Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. When the reading there at that point, as we come to this section, verses 6 through 10, we've looked at introductory things related to it, and we looked Saul, that Paul is an apostle that has been sent not from men, but through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ um, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul has been on this mission that Christ has set him on, and he is defending the gospel. These churches he had gone to in the area of Galatia, which is up in the area of Turkey, Asia Minor, And he had preached the gospel, planted churches in Iconium and uh, other places up there. And uh, after this, there have been false teachers uh, that have come into these churches and disrupted things and try to undo what Paul has done as he has planted these churches and grounded them in the gospel. And uh, we notice that Paul, as he begins this letter, he kind of gets straight to the point when we get to verse 6. His heart is troubled and he is wanting to address these things that he has heard of what has happened there. In most of Paul's epistles, there's often a thanksgiving for progress that these different churches maybe have made in grace. And there's usually a prayer Uh, In Philippians, he gives a greeting, and he says, Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank my God, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you uh, all. And uh, we don't find that here. We find a general greeting that is given by Paul, but he goes straight to the issue as we get to verse 6. Even the church at Corinth that had a number of problems of sin in the community there at Corinth, 
Even there, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything in him. What an amazing statement. You've been enriched in Christ. You have been enriched in him in everything. He's given us every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians 1. But here, he discards some of those things. And he goes, again, right to the issue that is at hand because the gospel is at stake. And so Paul addresses this. And we see, first of all, Paul's astonishment. Notice in verse 6, I marvel. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. The word marvel here is This idea to wonder, to admire, or to be amazed. Things that cause us to go, wow. You know, and that can happen in good circumstances or in negative circumstances. Um, In in Matthew 8, verse 27, it talks about the disciples when they saw Jesus had calmed the sea. And there, they, they use this, it says there in Matthew 8, 27, that they marveled. They marveled. Can you imagine that, seeing this storm suddenly, immediately calmed, and the sea is calm. And they said, they, they marveled, saying, what kind of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? So there's a positive way in which we marvel at things that just, are amazing to us. There also is a negative way uh, to marvel at things that just dumbfound us. We watch the news often at night and we look at the newest thing that's happening in our country and we marvel. We just are overwhelmed with the blatant sin that is in our nation and uh, we just think, wow. And this is how it's used in this context. Paul is writing to these churches and he's saying, I'm, I'm just amazed. I, I marvel when I think about what has happened there. I'm astonished. I'm dumbfounded by what is happening here. ESV and the NIV use the word astonished. The New American uses the word amazed. The New Living Translation says, I'm shocked. And I think that that brings out the idea. I'm shocked at what has happened there since I have left. And what's the cause of this? Well, I marvel that you are turning away. You're turning away so soon from him who has called you. You're turning away. And this word turning away has this idea of you're transferring. It's the idea of transferring one's allegiance There's this process of changing allegiances. It would be used of a soldier in that day who was in the army who would be a defector. He would be a traitor. And he's turning away and serving the enemy. It's used of those who would change their politics. Uh, It would be used that way in the first century. So here's one who's a flaming left-wing liberal who now becomes a right-wing conservative. Probably more likely the other way around. But uh, anyway, that, that happens. And it's this idea of turning and transferring one's allegiance in another direction. And notice what he says here, that they're 
turning away from him who has called you in the grace of Christ. You have been called by the grace of Christ. Now, usually this term is used in the effectual call of God. God has called you. Christ has called you to himself. And it, it has the emphasis that it is an effectual call. When Christ calls, when the Spirit of God works in a heart, is an effectual call that actually brings one to faith in Christ. That may be what is in view here. Uh, the new, uh, new International, I found out, translates it, it's, it, translates it this way. I'm astonished that you so quickly are turning away from the one who has called you to be in the grace of God. So it has a little bit of different emphasis there, but it seems that it is here, this idea of an effectual call. God has called you by his grace. He's united you to Jesus Christ. This is the divine initiative. He's called us where? He's called us in his grace, and he's called us to Christ. And he draws us where? He draws us to Christ. And it is his work. It's not by law. It's not by what we've done. It is God's effectual grace that has worked in hearts. So God has graciously purchased our salvation through Christ. And we receive in him all the benefits uh, of justification, of reconciliation, and of adoption and sonship. And God has also called you into these gospel privileges. And notice the word there, it's the word grace. The grace of, our, uh, of Christ. He has called you in the grace of Christ. It's unmerited favor. And he's amazed that so soon they seem to be drawn away from this status being united to Christ and being in him and having been called by him and they're being drawn away to something else, turning away to a different gospel. And he says, so soon. This is either since the time Paul has been there and planted this church or it is since these false teachers have come and begun teaching that they so soon have bought into their pack of lies. And... uh, Either way, Paul is absolutely amazed at this. You remember on Mount Sinai when Moses went up onto the mountain to receive the law of God. And uh, what happens as he comes down the hill and he's carrying the law of God? What's happening in the camp? A golden calf. There's already this golden calf. He's been gone for 40 days. And they're worshiping the golden calf breaking the first three commandments. And I think he must have been astonished and amazed. And and you remember, he threw down the the tablets of stone and, and they were broken because they had broken the law of God. When Paul was there, they had warmly received him. And I think this is another thing that just is amazing to Paul. Notice in chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul says there, My trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God. It's almost as if I was an angel of God. That's how you received me when I was there. Even as Christ Jesus, 
What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Wow. This respect that they had for Paul, this esteem for him. They would have done anything for him. But now, so soon, you are turning away. When he was in Iconium in the synagogue, there was a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks who had believed. When he was in Lystra and Derby, he, he had healed a lame man. And they said, the gods have come down to us. And he preached there, and he preached the gospel, and he made many disciples. And so they had heard about the free grace of God that is in Jesus Christ, and it is of grace. No doubt they would have sung, as we just sang, nothing in my hand I bring Simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. This is what they had received from Paul. This would have been no doubt in their heart and something that they would have also sung had Augustus' top lady lived in the first century. But he's amazed that they are turning from And they are turning to, notice, a different gospel, to a different gospel. This is not the gospel of pure grace, but it is an admixture. It's an admixture of Christ, you might say grace, and works. These were the Judaizers that had come from Jerusalem And they were saying, it's okay if you believe in Jesus, but you need something more. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the commandments. So it's Jesus plus something. But this is not the gospel. What they were teaching, if you think of a math equation for salvation, was Jesus plus circumcision, law works, equals salvation. So they were being taught this, a religion of merit versus a religion of grace. You know, the Roman Catholic Church has what they call the treasury of merits, that there are saints that have more merits than they need, and so the extras go into this treasury, and the church can dispense those two who need some more. They don't quite have enough. It's a a blasphemous doctrine. And this is something of what's going on there in Galatia. And so here is Paul addressing this. So when Paul was with them, this would have been, again, their song. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. But here's a new song that these false teachers have brought. They twisted the words, and I don't know who it was that wrote this, but here's what he said they would be singing in this day, at least. This would have been the false teacher's theology. By the labors of my hands, I strive to fulfill the law's demands circumcised and rights by be kept, trusting Jesus and my flesh. All these shall save and sin atone, but not by Jesus Christ alone. And 
And I think that would express something of what these Judaizers were communicating to these there in these churches of Galatia. But in this process, Paul said they are turning away from the gospel of grace to a different gospel. And I think there's a clarification we need to see here. This, there is no other gospel. They're turning to a gospel that is not a gospel. And the word that he uses here, I think I talked about this in the introduction weeks ago, when he talks about they have turning to a different gospel, it is a word from which we get our word heteros or heterodoxy. It is something that is not orthodox. It's another. It's of a different kind. Now, there's another Greek word that could be used, another of the same kind. That's what Jesus said, when I send the Spirit, he will come. He will be another comforter, another of the same kind. He won't be different. He'll be what I have been to you. He'll be another comforter, like me. That's not the word it is used here. It's heterodox. It is another of a different kind. And this is a gospel that is different. It is not the same. There are not two gospels. There's not two messages of good news. There is only one. It's not grace and works. These are polar opposites. They cannot go together. And any other gospel is a different gospel. It's a false gospel. It's an anti-gospel. Most people believe there are many ways to get to God that there is only one name given under heaven whereby we can be saved, Acts 4, 12. So salvation is by Christ apart from works. It's by faith alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. One commentator, I don't know who this guy is, but H.B. Byer, he said, there is no other gospel. There is only the one gospel of justification by Christ in faith. Thus, the teaching of the Judaizers is not another gospel, let alone a better one. It is no gospel at all. No gospel at all. So where does this come from? Verse 7. See here the root of it, the originating source. He says it's, it's not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There are those who have gone out of Jerusalem and they have followed the steps of Paul and followed in these churches and brought this message. They were referred to as Judaizers, Jews that were from Jerusalem. And they came along behind Paul and they are those who are troubling you. They trouble you and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. This idea of trouble you is to agitate, to cause inward commotion and to stir up. And that's what they did. This is what they were doing in these churches. And he says the, they are those who are perverters. They pervert the gospel of Christ. It's the idea of to change or to transform, to change into something of an opposite character. And that's what they have done. They have changed uh, the message completely. They're not perfecting the gospel, but rather they are perverting the gospel. They are not clarifying the gospel. They're destroying the gospel. And they're not clarifying the gospel. They're destroying it, and they're not making 
some helpful modifications to the gospel, but they're really castrating the gospel of grace. And Paul is in arms about this. And notice he says here in verse 7 that they are perverting, they pervert the gospel of Christ. And literally in the Greek, it has the article, they are perverting the gospel of the Christ, the anointed one. There is no other, and they are perverting the gospel of this Christ, the Lord's anointed. And so here is this one, um, these ones who Paul is addressing here. Now in this day, with circumcision, it was keeping the law. We know that there are many other things throughout history that people add to the gospel. Rather than Christ alone, it's Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus baptism or Jesus plus my good works, my baptism, my membership, my trying to keep the Ten Commandments, whatever it might be. It's a perversion of the gospel of grace. John Stott said the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. Often when there's persecution of the church, as one said, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Often outside forces that oppose the church really often help to promote it. It grows under persecution and difficulties. But the trouble often comes from within, and this causes great harm. It doesn't bring about growth and maturity of the church. As we think about this situation here with these people whom the apostle himself had been with them and preached to them and been with them, and they heard this one sent by Christ, so suddenly they have been drawn away. They're being led away. And what's important here is that this is in the present tense in verse 6. I marvel that you are in the process of turning away. It's not the idea that they have turned away completely, but they're, being, they're like a fish. They're nibbling on this bait. They haven't, the, the, I don't think the hook has been sunk in yet, but they're taking this bait and they're kind of nibbling on it and they're kind of being led away. So there's this process that's going on. It's not that they have totally embraced these false teachers. But I think there's a lesson for us here that we never should be haughty. We ourselves can be easily drawn away. We know our own hearts. But those whom God effectually calls, he's going to keep. He's going to hold on to them. And uh, here is these, again, that are being led away, being prone to wonder how dependent we are on the Lord to keep us, aren't we? How dependent we are that the one who began the good work in us is going to Continue that work into the day of Jesus Christ. Where would I be left to myself? If God had saved me and just left me on my own. It wouldn't be good. John MacArthur said, if anybody could lose their salvation, everybody would. And I think he's right. We would. But he's the one that keeps us. John Brown, old, old commentator. He was Spurgeon's favorite commentator. He said, of the strong tendency of the human mind, 
even after having been in a good measure enlightened in the knowledge of the truth, to revert to former or to fall into new errors, we have a striking explification in the history of the Galatian church. Here's an example. The partial apostasies of genuine Christians are fearful demonstrations of the power of natural depravity, clear evidences that but for the constraint operation of the good spirit, every good man would soon become a bad man. And everything like right religious thinking and feeling and acting would be banished from the earth. We're thankful, aren't we, that salvation is of the Lord, that one who's begun the good work, he's going to continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. We're so weak. We are so needy. But his grace is greater, and he imparts grace. And those that he has called, he is going to keep. Now, how does he do this? As Paul is seeing these people being led away, nibbling at the bait, well, there are warnings that are given. Uh, The author of Hebrews gives many, many warnings. And a Christian, a true believer who has been called by the Spirit of God, his ears perk up when he hears those things. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. Notice the strong language. He goes on to say, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be anathema. Let him be a curse. Let him come under the curse of God. And then he goes on to emphasize it more. And I say again, even if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul uses, again, very strong language, how serious this matter is. And those who have been called of God, those who, in whom the Spirit lives, their ears are going to perk up. God will be at work to draw them again back to himself, back to this gospel that they have heard from Paul. And so here is these warnings that Paul gives. And I believe those who are truly regenerate, to those who are truly have been called, they hear this. And by God's grace, they come and they return and they find themselves, again, aligned with the gospel. And uh, as we think about this, how can we recognize the true gospel? If we're hearing someone preach or reading books, what are some of the things that we ought to expect to hear? Here are a few things. It will speak of God's free and unmerited grace. Grace alone. We got that banner on our back wall. It will humble the pride of man. We contribute nothing except the sin that makes this salvation necessary. It is all of his grace, and we contribute nothing. That's why we're poor of spirit. And whenever teachers exalt humanity and speak of morality or something that we do, the gospel of grace is corrupted, and we want nothing to do with that. It will center on the person and the work of Christ. It will be Bible-centered, Scripture alone. It will not be something new. People's ears tickle to hear something new, but it will not be something new. 
Anyone who rejects the apostolic gospel is to be rejected. And then lastly, this gospel gives glory to God alone. God alone gets the glory. And so we see Paul right from the get-go as he begins this epistle addressing the vital need for these churches there. And may we come to have a greater appreciation for the gospel, that it's all of his grace. We stand in grace. I love that statement in Ephesians, or Romans 5. We stand in grace. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father,